Hello and welcome back to How to Break an Artist, and today we will be talking about publishing. Oh, I'm so bored already. The word yeah, actually yeah. makes my eyes glaze over. Yeah, I was thinking all week on Monday I was dreading this uh, chat, but then just in the last couple of hours I'm actually really excited for it, believe it or not. You see, I think, Alfie, we've been talking about publishing for a very long time. Just, we talk about everything, like we talk about the industry, and but like publishing as well. It's an interesting topic, so it'd be nice to, you know... I feel like I'm now talking talking about it from the other side, you know, uh, because it's been yeah. s- uh, such a big factor of my life for the last 12 years, I think, since I signed, like, my first publishing deal. And, yeah, now I finally feel like I can look at it and laugh a little bit about yeah. um, my past ignorance on the whole subject, really. Like I said, my eyes glaze over, and I'm trying to think, like... If I was listening to this podcast when I was 18 and I saw the title publishing, I'd probably fucking skip the episode. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I find it that uninteresting. However, as we spoke about last week, like there's so much money in this and this is the oil, the gold, whatever you want to call it, of music. And, um, you know, we hope by the end of this episode, if you're listening and you have no idea about publishing, we hope you will have... A basic understanding, at least. Um, I'd probably explain it in my own little magical way. Fionn will explain it in his magical way. We'll read more stories of other artists explaining yeah. it in their magical ways. So publishing is essentially related, joint with the songwriting, where a record label and a record deal is the recording of the song. A publishing deal is the songwriting. And that can be exploited in ways that you mightn't expect, basically. Yeah, like we've spoke about on the podcast, like someone covering your song, you know, the songwriter will get the money if it's exploited and and it makes money. Or like if it's placed on a film, the songwriter will make the money for that. So, you know, there's nothing like, and this can happen years in the future. So, you know, that's that's why there's money in it, long lasting money in it. It's interesting. So, Publishing for me was always theoretical, but now um, my lens of songs is like, okay, these are things that now will like will be put out. So it is very much like this thing that like hangs over it. That like, what like what if now like someone came to me and offered me a publishing deal? Like, what would I say? Like in a position I'm in currently. Well, well, I definitely get to asking you that. You know, and, uh, like, firstly. When was the first time you even became aware of a publisher? Like, full stop. Do you know? Do you remember that? In the music terms, like, when was the first time? Um, the first time would have been one of my first music industry classes um, with an absolute legend of a teacher um, and being explained the different um, symbols, like the copyright symbol, the P, the, P, the P, the stuff like that, and what they all mean, what they all relate to, and just like hammering at it and like making sure we're like, we understood this because this is the foundation of like everything. <laughs> everything is going to be built from this. So, so that took you, to, oh, yeah. that took you quite a while. That's like what age? You were 21? I, I was 22 turning 23. And then I think when I, but like, when we I'm, started. I'm not judging you for that, by the way, because there's people, no, like, I, I'm, I'm only coming to an understand. There's so much to understand about it. And um, yeah, like, again, you're a musician and you play covers for years. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. like the first time you come across it is when you actually sign up to music college. So it's like it's not a known 
thing or it's not a thing that's at all very spoken about probably because it's not exciting better for the people who are make, who are offering these deals if people don't know what they actually are are what they break down as and that's maybe yeah. why I'm fired up this episode yeah. <laughs> uh, well I, uh, like yeah. after what you've known and found out about publishing so when was that that was when you're 22 so a couple of years ago yeah. you've had a bit of time to learn about how one year okay you've had a bit of time to learn about how a publishing deal has affected me first of all you've had yeah. you know you've been you've now understand what it is so i'm sure you've seen it around other artists and other musicians like yeah how do you f- feel about it now yes or no would you sign one no okay but, like, but there are gonna be ifs and buts and we're probably yeah you know I'd love you to ask me the same thing later in the podcast. Would I sign one? And and if I did, why would I sign one? You know. So we'll get we'll get to that. But we'll go back to why? Like well, well, yeah, absolutely. What is it to you? Like, what would be signing a publishing deal? So why are you so against it? Let's say it's a a no. It's a it's a no. And why is it a no? Yeah. I I think too much about this. (laughs) Like, I don't. I don't think about like signing a record deal, I guess, but I I do consider like the nuances of if I sign a publishing deal and what would they be where I would actually consider it, and like that is a a, a freaking Pandora's box, like. But so to I guess to bring it back, like if a publisher comes to a songwriter, they will tell them like if you write the songs, I'll take care of the business, and that business comes down to um like handling the cash side of it like 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 exploiting the song in the sense of finding places for the song to be put in films television adverts all these opportunities that this songwriter might have access to second will be creative side like you know developing their songwriter by putting them with other artists who they wouldn't have the chance to meet like so we're talking last week about like in archer for example like um like you're in a position now where you would know him. I'm in a position where I don't. So a publisher would be this person who could put me in contact and put me in the room with someone or like Nick, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then like, this is where I'm at now. And it's the admin, the publishing admin. And Greg mentioned this rather than like publishing rights. It's like you give a percentage for the admin to be done. And like, I think that there's, two uh opposite sides the first side is like an emerging artist a smaller artist an artist who doesn't have all this um this kind of like career built it's very jesus it's tempting you know what i mean to think i write songs anyway and someone will give me like <laughs> hopefully a shitload of money or even just like enough to pay a, a few years rent or something like that like class like no more coffee shop jobs and then on the other side you'd hope that like you'd be in a position to where and this is what I would quite this is what I'm putting back to you now is you have contacts of people who you could write with you have knowledge now that you wouldn't have had when you signed your first deal because you know how the business works because you were essentially managing it by the third album um and yeah just like all what a publishing deal could offer you right now is very different to what it could offer me right now. Big time. And I was always told with publishing that 
if you're going to sign it away, you sign it away for the money and for the yeah. big for the big money. Now, that is different to every single person. And it's different to 18 year old me yeah. as it's different to, you know, coming up now, 30 year old me. So and it's different to Bruce Springsteen. And it's different to Bob Dylan, as we heard last week, you know, um, so after even just this last few weeks, getting released from my publishing deal and like evaluating, thinking about my worth as a songwriter, uh, it's brought all this up into question. And mm. like before we dive really deep into it from my end, like I would like to say hello to the listeners and acknowledge a few yeah, things sorry. that has <laughs> happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, such as some yeah. very big moments for this podcast. Um, I, I like, yeah, I'm already getting distracted. Publishing is that fucking boring, everybody. Um, <laughs> not for Fionn, obviously. Uh, sorry, I got really so I was just like, we're going to talk about publishing. And I, yeah, and I save it all for like the recording day as well. Like yeah. I have all these in my head and I'm only allowed to talk about them. But I like still hour. have so many questions <laughs> that I want to ask you about publishing as well. Um, but there's just a few things. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I had three coffees today. Ah, look, <laughs> look, you're grand. Yeah, anyway. We we love doing this. It's fucking been brilliant. Like we're having such a good time. Uh, we really yeah. enjoyed that episode on songwriting last week, and yeah, we're just again really grateful for everybody getting involved and sending us messages. We'd love to just read out a few. Um, if you know, there's one I'd love you to read out. This is a message that came in from someone on Instagram. Yeah, take it away, Finon. I love listening to your podcast. While I'm not a professional musician, I am an avid music lover. Your podcast has inspired me to do better by the artists I love and listen to on a regular basis by trying to buy CDs and vinyls when I can rather than just streaming. Thank you for sharing your story and the truth behind music today. I hope that it can be the start of turning things around and giving control back to the artists who bring us the music that soundtracks our lives. Wishing you the best in your next endeavors. That's so nice. Like, that is so nice. Yeah. And, uh, like, that's what it's all about. You know, like, music fans and lovers care about this shit too you know um which is really nice because like we're saying we're talking about really weird we're talking about music publishing i never ever ever would have imagined the day we'd have someone so positively <laughs> so positively <laughs> learning from the music industry this is another one and i'm gonna yeah. ask uh, ask her can we play it this is from my cousin um who like again would have known now me like for years basically and yeah. and the band and there would have always been this sense of intrigue about what we're doing and like she would have come to our gigs at times and uh yeah she texts me every week when the podcast comes out and i got this lovely voice message from her uh this week and i'm gonna ask her can i play it out she'll probably be mortified but hey look um i think it's, it's it was really nice to to get this message and yeah kind of relates to that last comment here we go It's my favorite day today, which is the day I get to listen to your podcast. Um, I just wanted to say that it was super interesting. I am loving it so much. Um, like, you know, feeding my curiosity on the whole industry, but also just learning so much. And it's super interesting, like getting or like having seen you guys, like Hudson Taylor as a band, um, 
you know, kind of from the start, but like from so far away and not knowing anything about it. And then, you know, having my perception on how you guys did stuff and um, learning about that, like the whole songwriting thing is I like, I didn't even know that was a thing people did as a job. And yeah, it's just, it's really cool. I, yeah, I'm just endlessly interested and I am loving the podcast. I know I text you every single week, but um, yeah, I figured I'd send a message to better vocalize my thoughts. <laughs> but um, yeah, I hope you're doing well. Congratulations again on getting out of that record deal. Or the, the deal, whatever, whatever it was. I don't know the correct <laughs> way to describe that. But um, that's super exciting. I'm so happy for you. Um, and yeah, hopefully um, I'll see you soon. Cool. How nice is that? Like, that's so nice. That's and yeah, like again, she's my cousin. Like, I would have had plenty of time to chat to her about, you know, what my job is yeah. like. And it just never came up because it's just so, you know, it's it's... I've never had you know four hours to, to four hours of conversation uh, to, uh, to talk yeah. to, and and it also goes back to you, Fionn, and the questions you ask, like you know, um, and being able to have these conversations, it's 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 great, and it's 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 um, it seems to be teaching people who you know, again, are music fans, just don't don't know about the ins and outs of the music industry, a lot about yeah. how things are made. I love my food, right, and I like to know where that comes from. I listen to music every day. I like to know where that comes from too. And I yeah. want to know that it comes from a good place and that the people are treated well who make it. Um, and it's really cool to see that music fans share that same same thing, you know. Yeah, it's exciting to think that like, you know, we're obviously going back to like basics um, in our heads. But for some people, it's like, my, yeah. Like my mom was listening to it and she like, yeah. Go, <laughs> She's go on, like go on. It's just nice. It's just nice to like. It's it, music uh, would have been something for so long that like would have been very like solo to me. Like uh, it wasn't like a thing that like I could really bring people into, at least like on that kind of level. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like people now. Your mom's see the song picking apart your social media plan, is she? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. No, she's like, no, she's always my best supporter. To be honest, cool. so I have to say that she will be listening. Yeah. Best. Um, but. No, it's just really, um, obviously, I really am passionate about the music industry and talking about it, but I really like that people can hop on and, Jesus, if someone could take away, what's a record deal? What's a publishing deal? What's a manager? Um, how do I support an artist properly and how shit streaming services pay the artists? That's, that's like, mission accomplished. Like, honestly, if one of those yeah. things and like I'd be so happy it's just so um, it's really encouraging and yeah thank you to my cousin for sending that in and also thank you to that comment as well um, there's one more that you know ah, sure look when the going's good we'll talk about it if you want. this is our first piece of national press um, yes. which we received yeah. uh, last week my lo um, local paper Finon's local paper, the Irish Examiner, national paper. Um, I'm already blushing thinking about it. They've given us a really good yeah. write-up and it's in their podcast corner section of the newspaper. They say, why Alfie Hudson-Taylor walked away from the sibling music group. Alfie Hudson-Taylor's podcast provides fascinating insight on how even well-known musicians can struggle to make a living. And then it's How to Break an Artist, an interesting podcast that offers a stark look behind the music industry, co-hosted by Alfie Hudson-Taylor and up-and-coming Cork artist Finon, a.k.a. Finscaelta. Alfie was one half of the chart-topping titular band, Hudson Taylor, alongside Brother Harry. Is that how you say that word? Harry. <laughs> oh, sorry. 
<laughs> That's staying in. You can take the title of Alfie's podcast released less than a month after Harry's Instagram statement at face value rather than a band break. What Instagram statement? I don't know. Uh, rather don't than know. a band breaking into the industry, this is about how the industry broke the band. Fionn asks Alfie directly at the start of a No Frills show, how did Hudson Taylor call it quits and whose decision was it? And you know the answer to that. I said, well, firstly, it was my decision completely. And yeah, the first episode of the podcast, you remember. And then it goes on to say, there's been four episodes of the podcast so far, but for sheer honesty, the opening 25-minute salvo is among the most gripping shows we've heard all year. It sounds like there are things left unsaid. Hmm? But Alfie Hudson Taylor yeah. still reveals <laughs> so much. Episodes since then have focused on music videos, monetization, streaming. And anyway, they've just gone, like, it's been... That was mad. It was so cool. So, so cool. If you none sent that to me early in the morning, it honestly made me day. I didn't, you know, it's like we were saying, it kind of just made us feel like, oh God, we actually have a show. Do you know? Um, yeah. It was actually, yeah, because before that, obviously we got used to listening and stuff, but um, yeah, you just, I don't know, it just gave us, it's like, I don't know, the papers, do you know? Um, yeah. A lot of people as well tuned in from it. So, yeah. hello to our new listeners. Yeah, hello. Like, honestly, <laughs> Yeah. Every week we we have more than we thought we'd ever have. So yeah, no, it's, it's actually crazy. Mad. Yeah. There we fucking go. Uh, we won't be giving ourselves that many pats on the back. No. <laughs> when we get slated, we'll, we'll yeah, bring it in. Yeah. <laughs> we read it out as well. Exactly, yeah. But um no, I think it's a massive achievement and uh thank yeah. you to all you for getting on board and make and you know, making this show what it is because really the contributions we've received are I think some of the most insightful bits of the podcast for me, you know, um, hearing from the, you know, artists starting out, hearing from Greg, um, you know, just, it's like people getting involved. Use our, use our, this podcast. um, And it's community. That's it. It's, yeah, it's making like people, people are interacting, like whether it's with us or just with each other, just talking about these things. Like it, it builds a community. It actually like starts a conversation that's separate to, let's say what streaming might make it because or whatever things are like now it, it actually yeah. like brings it back to talking absolutely and then not to lick our own arses like but <laughs> <laughs> well hey look it's just it's it's this is a new format for us both i'm not used to this talking into a microphone yeah. and you know not either like, like that intro <laughs> i the do not like the sound of my own voice and now the amount yeah. I have to fucking listen to it uh, is and yeah I don't know anyway anyway we're the other thing is you're my top artist of the year which I found so funny because the amount of time the amount of time that I was listening to in the research of this podcast yeah research <laughs> research actually, is it yeah yeah it was sad to see the actual number of minutes I was listening to, <laughs> to, to, to yeah oh god yeah. yeah well you spared me the listening anyway so I'd love to tell like like context for like how the show actually evolved like this started as like us researching Hudson Taylor's story and like just writing it up and it was going to be like <laughs> it's going to be one episode per album then it was going to be mm-hmm. um six episodes then it was going to be three series of six episodes and like we yeah like it was so yeah. much writing so much research I have the most useless knowledge in my head about your career that <laughs> like I don't know what to do with anymore but like the amount of time we had put in, like six well, months. I and think, then, um, like again, it's all been necessary to understand. Yeah, you know, because even <laughs> even the useless stuff is now actually in our. I learned com- so much, and it's but even in our conversations now, splitting it up, talking about subject by subject, it's all coming back. Yeah. Like today, 
one thing that sticks out from when we were writing the first album story for me is, is well, it's actually affected my, my whole career. And it goes on to publishing. In the early career stuff, when we were writing that down, this moment and this piece of advice sticks out to me as something that I shouldn't, I shouldn't have maybe taken on board as, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, it sticks out to me, this piece of advice. And it's from someone I don't know. They're not in my life anymore. Like, you know, I, I yeah. trusted them at the time, a kind of wiser, older music industry head. I suppose it could be like me to some people, do you know, like to you, like, yeah. and that's why I always say to you, if you know, and take it or leave it, I'll, gi- I'll, I'll, I'll give you some advice, but you're the one actually making the decision. Yeah. And, you know, maybe if this person had said this to me, anyway, there's so many caveats and nuances with music. There always is. But he said, all the best bands in the world split their publishing right down the middle. So you've got U2, they do it. You've got Coplay, they do it. And, you know, went on to list other bands that do the same. And they said, this is the best way to do it because, you know, you don't want Bono in a big thing where the other lads are are in Nissan Micros or whatever. You know, it's like... you Yeah, but if Bono's Shakespeare and the other fellas just... (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't allow for these nuances when you're, you know, 17 years old and you hear a fact like this by someone who's trusted. So, again, that stuck with me and it was just like, just do this. And it's the nice thing to do. And I've always liked to consider myself as a fair person. So that's what I did from the very beginning. Um, You know, with my brother, also we're brothers. and We've split everything pretty much down the middle our whole lives. That's the way we were sort of raised. So it chimed with who I was at the time and what we were putting out as a band. And I jumped on board with that. And, you know, regardless of who wrote what or whatever. Yeah. That was like a massive piece of almost useless information, which has in the last couple of weeks and since I've been freed from publishing, you know, it's come back and it's gone, okay, well, where... Where do the root of my problems lie? Partly in this, me making that choice way back then yeah. and sticking with it for so long. And then also selling my publishing for lots of money. That was another piece of advice I got. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd known a little bit about publishing, but when I first got into music and I was meeting publishers and all the rest of it, like what I was told is, look, if you're going to sign your publishing, sign it away for a lot of money and don't expect much in return you know yeah. and i was 18 years old i'd been you know broke as a musician for the last couple of years i'd you know it, it didn't like well i'm not from like a you know a rich background or whatever so this is the way i can make money and and sustain my career for the next couple of years and this was also the way that bands did it at the time like there wasn't as many like there wasn't much else on offer really uh it's particularly financially for for a band at our level and all the rest of it like publishing this is just yeah. a done thing at the time so and i didn't know this because i was 18 but like for our management i don't i don't blame going through this route you know so this is the route that's that's what i knew at the time about publishing before and then you know then i signed two publishing deals in the space of about six months so let's say um you're 18 you are entering the professional music industry. And of course, as we talked about last week, like co-ratings become like a factor of the career and all these things. Like what benefits did you see at that time to sign a publishing deal? Like, and you were, did you sign it when you were in London or were you in Dublin, kind of in between Dublin and London at that time? So I'd already, like 
we'd already had songs like Chasing Rubies. Um, our first one of our first co-writing sessions, we wrote Battles. And yeah. Chasing Rubies is that one of those songs or the? Uh, well, like this, it's my, it's my, that's my. That's my story. That song. Do you know what I mean? I wrote that in my bedroom after after meeting, you know, the love of my life, sort of thing. So it's like that's that that's very much my song. I think you know, um, uh, and that was kind of we had that in the bag. We had managed we had management at the time. We had like, that yeah. was like a you know let's say a hundred percent Hudson Taylor song sort of thing. There was no co writes involved in that, and that was and considered our lead single from the very beginning, sort of thing. And it would have been like. A Hudson Taylor, every song, going back to what you're kind of saying, like every song, no matter how it was written, became a Hudson Taylor song, and in essence, 50-50 split. That's because of what I was told. That's how I split everything. Yeah. That's how I continued to do it. And that's, if it was a Hudson Taylor song, that's what would happen. Even in a writing session then, like when we first went to write Battles, then yeah. that was organized by our uh, manager at the time, who was who knew publishers and was in touch with publishers yeah. asking them which writers would be good for Hudson Taylor. So it's kind of tuning them up for, I've got a new band here, by the way, plus what writers do you have that want to work with them? And the A&R guy, so that's the person who works in the publisher who signs the talent, basically. Uh, there was one guy working at uh, Sony ATV and he put us in some of our first sessions and we, you know, we were doing meetings at the time and we met him and we got on quite well with him. And also we got on quite well with his writers and that his writers had good things to say about your man. So that kind of got me even, you know, like in, even in this, just the first couple of sessions, I had a good impression of a publisher. I was already, uh, you know, that they liked us because of Chasing Rubies and because of a couple of other songs. Yeah. We had shown that we could write our own songs and that we could be actually valuable as artists. Do you get me? Or as writers? Yeah. What when you decided when it was decided that Chasing Rubies was the gotta be the lead single, um, at that time. Um I was like did you it wasn't like set in stone. It was just like that's that's one of the stronger songs and we're gonna keep that. And you know, it ended up being like I'm talking three, four years later, ended up being the lead single of our album. So it was kind of earmarked from the very first go when it came out, I remember everybody getting excited about it and, and then labels and publishers yeah. getting excited about our band. But did you feel when you wrote that song that that was when, like that represented both you and Hudson Taylor and you could go into these rooms now and like go from like, like that's a fucking class song, but you could go from there and write a battles and you can write, they're a bit, they're different from, than like, you know, the place like called home and like smaller songs like that. You know what I mean? It's like closer to like a quote-unquote hit. Yeah, that like I think... going to try to write. I think like it, it was a really natural song came out in half an hour. So it's like it, it, there wasn't really, again, like like what I said last week, there wasn't much thinking about that song. It just kind of came out. And uh, same as a lot of the songs that ended up doing well in my career have been the ones I don't have to think much about. It, it, it To be honest, I was really buzzing to work in music at that point so I was really happy like that as soon as the song was up on YouTube or I can't remember if it was sent to management but I got a call from from my manager at the time freaking out over the song it was the first time that had happened and I remember going wow as a songwriter that's really cool I like that feeling yeah um you know and it's a good moment though and it was a good when... moment and it's like an adult who works in music telling me this so it was like a really yeah 
validating feeling. And then I went to meet these writers who are obviously doing songwriting as a job. I got on with them. They're other artists. They had been artists, um, you know, and then, yeah, like I said, they were all signing publishing deals and surviving that way. So it was like, it was the way, it was the way to make money. And, and like, that's paved the way for me to get into writing sessions and to understand how it all works. And like, you'd finish a writing session. And, and like I said, like there's a songwriting royalty that needs to be split at the end of the day. So that when our management would be involved, like we'd finish a day songwriting and our management would follow up and say, hello songwriter or hello songwriter's manager. What's the split for the day? And we'd often go, me get, I get 33, Harry gets 33 and the writer gets 33, you know, and split it equally yeah. down the middle. And that's what usually happens after a session. And like, there are times when the equal split is like totally fair and it makes sense. And because like, I've spoke to you about it before, like even just the vibe that you can create in a room with someone can be so, so yeah. important. You reminded me of something there that I, I'd forgotten about. I've, I've related to that just like you were talking, like you, you wrote that song and you had that moment and then you had that person validate like you know you're an adult this is what you're aiming to do and then you write this song and then that's the moment where it's like yeah oh shit like <laughs> like like yeah. this is like one of those um i it's probably like i'm in brighton at the moment that for anyone listening it's about 20 meters that way um you're the person who did that for me a couple of years ago no, I wrote that's on the water, cool man I was, I was like here can i send you this song <laughs> and you were and you sent it was two things. Firstly, you were like, hey, look, sorry for not getting back sooner. I wanted to give this my full attention. I was like, oh, that, you didn't have to do that. Like, you could have just gone like, oh, man, there, that's cool. And then you, like, gave it, like, actual feedback. And that was when I was like, I was, that was the first one where I was like, Aww. oh, fuck. <laughs> like, this, it's like a song. Um, but I, I just, yeah, you mind me of that there. No, that that's good. But it does, it does so much. Just some someone believing you in that way. And anyway, like, it's a intoxicating combination. Like me saying that to you might have, might have, you know, inver inadvertently made you fucking take up a career in in music. And oh shit, <laughs> you know, now you're here uh, working yeah. in music, trying to work work out this difficult landscape. But uh, yeah. yeah, this same thing did that to me. I jumped straight in. I go, wow, someone who works in this industry is telling me I'm all right at this. Yeah. And you know, I wrote the song in half an hour in my bedroom, and like, you know. It, it it also then delivered on YouTube and everything. But like my point is, when I wrote this song, I didn't even know what a fucking publisher was. Like I had no idea about any of this stuff. And this song ends up getting published in a, in, in only like one and a one and a half year later, this song gets is is now owned by Sony ITV. And I wrote it when I was seventeen. And like then if I fast forward into the future, yeah. I still don't own that song. How do you feel about that when write the song I feel very weird about that because it's like I didn't even know this company existed when I wrote the song and now they own it yeah. so I can't get it back until whatever some fucking year in the future you know and like that's weird that's that's where I find my opinion of publishing kind of gets weird the idea of giving anything I've written to this point away to someone else in comparison to agreeing to write for a certain period of time under a contract and from whatever point I sign it to whatever point. Yeah. So I've learned a lot about, like, even talking to Nick off record last week, I learned a lot from the sort of deals he signs as a songwriter and the sort of deals that I sign as an artist and how they differ. And that's mostly, I noticed, the biggest one is in length. Ah, well, and also in money because, you know, I, I don't 
I'm not writing loads of hits with loads of fucking up and coming artists. You know what I mean? I could be, and maybe you know I will be able to ask. Look, I'll sketch you in, <laughs> but like it's gonna be tough. <laughs> so that's one thing. Like uh, songwriters would be uh, signed for length, like years. Do you know? Whereas I, I spoke about this last week. I was yeah. signed for albums. So that, bec- so like I'd rather know exactly when I'm out of this deal and when things revert back to me rather than have this like it could be one year it could be three years it actually can't be any less than one year so like we'll get into this in a few like these contracts and like the language like going from just this kid who's inspired who's been told they're good at something to then signing an extremely complex five four or five album publishing deal it's just it's unfair like that's it is unfair you can't expect you cannot expect to understand it like you know i understand it but like the words itself the way it's all written and and presented to you is just complete jargon it's like like for example like a record label is like an expectation of an artist and the expectation can you know ideally be fulfilled because there will be the backing of a label but with publishing it's like you're setting away your like almost like your creative license like you know what i mean yeah you're giving it to someone else so i'm young signing my publishing way is a thing i'm an artist we're looking at major labels as well which we're going to talk about labels and masters next week you know all of these things the hope was we moved from dublin to london to sign a major record deal and to sign a publishing deal that was how artists could make serious money from about I think whether they touch on it in that 1985 book. Um, so from then at least to up until 2012, that was kind of the way you would want, you would go about it. You would you would go to a major label, you'd ask for a big advance. So that would be like, uh, you know, uh, what, whatever you could get out of the label. You know, it depends on the hype you could create. You spoke about this last week. Like we were, we had Chasing Rubies. We had some good gigs booked. We got ourselves a good agent. Our, our management were, you know, were, were on it at the time. They were very, uh, very efficient and very good at creating a buzz around us as a band for the labels. We then started meeting other publishers and other labels and playing them all off each other and, you know, getting the money to go up and up and up. Were these separate? Or were you looking for a I don't think, I doubt you were looking for a 360 deal, but like, were you looking to be like, have both of them in the same company or were, you, were they separate pursuits? It was separate and it was, yeah, like publishing and, and records were separate. They were from separate companies. So like, for example, the major publishers at the time, and they're probably, they're all still around and the major record labels at the time, record labels were Universal Labels, Polydor, the one we ended up signing to, and then you had Parlophone, you had Warners, and uh, I fucking can't remember the rest of them. And then you've like Universal Music Publishing, Sony Music Publishing, and we had interest from both of them, and also some independent publishers. And this is where our kind of story gets complex and all the rest of it. And like, yeah, I initially. The first publishing deal I signed, let's just go with that because that's an easier way to, to, to bring people in. The first publishing deal I signed was when we were playing a concert. It was in Dublin. We signed it to a uh, to Sony ATV who were based in London. And we were playing a, like our first arena show in the Three Arena in Dublin. Now, uh, and it was 
at a charity concert called the Childline Concert. And it was our first big show and we had just signed a record deal to Polydor and we were coming to Ireland for the first time as an international band. And we were meeting our new label in Ireland, Universal Music Ireland, who were going to work the album for Polydor. You signed with, so Polydor is a sub, I can't, I cannot say this word, Subsisted. subsidiary of That's Universal. Yes, Universal UK, yeah. you're with. Yeah. So when, an interesting nerdy thing is when you go to Ireland, you're, and you're a UK act in Ireland. So like, in terms of like, because if you're not from Ireland or if you're an Irish act and you're curious, it's just like, that's a different way of working that circuit or that yeah. scene. It's just like. Yeah. Oh, so we arrived as domestic British artists, but we're yeah, from Ireland. That's so And we, ar- we arrived, we got into fucking blacked out car. We went straight to promo. We fucking promoted ourselves. I think we were on the telly for the first time. And then we went on and we played an arena show. And then we came off that arena show, went to like Dublin's fanciest hotel and uh, all had a, a little bit to drink or whatever. It was paying for it, Alfie. Exactly. And then after that, signed our publishing deal on a bin on Grafton Street, which is one yeah. of the bins where we used, we to, used bus. to busk. Exactly. So that was how I signed my publishing deal. And yeah, there was a lawyer there. There was like, you know, all my friends and family were there. It was a big, nice celebratory moment. I have, yeah, I have a picture here and... I'm looking at it. It's me with like, what, 15 people around me. Uh, Very, very kind of like dark picture. You can't see much, but it's our band at the time. Like my sister, my family, like lawyer, manager, all of us. And it says, these people made playing Childline concert 10 times better. So I was clearly very happy about it. And, you know, this publishing deal meant that, and look, I'll just be totally honest and open with the figures, like the money at the time, this big money I was hoping for now, like, if you know, I've probably told you the figures, but just for the listeners, like for the listeners and everybody then have a think about how much I might have sold it for as an, as a new artist back then, like, like bear in mind, you know, Paul Simon, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, how much those boys are selling their um, catalogs for, how much do you reckon an artist at my level can sell their potential catalog for? I'll, in a sense, be guessing as well, because I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I know I know what it wasn't. So this is for one album? This is a five album? I'm, I'm going in for five albums here. So how much am I going to get for the first album? Have a guess. I'm going to say 50 grand or 100 grand, but I don't know it's going to be lower. <laughs> Surprisingly not. I think it was about 150 grand. Sterling. And that's split between two? Split between two, me and Harry. And then it's manager's percentage. Manager gets a percentage of 20%, and you pay tax on that. So that's... That's it. Slowly turns to about fifty grand, which is not to be sniffed at for an eighteen-year-old. Uh, yeah, that's for so. Then it gets more nuanced, where it's like and that's with the first of potentially five options. So per option, so per the amount of times that a publisher picks up the next one, each time that happens, you get another advance, and the advance gets higher each time. Should do, but that has to last you between when you get that one, I want to get the next one. And that can be a long time. Like I've signed my fucking deal on a bin on Grafton Street and how they pay it isn't like you get 150 grand sent over to you straight away. It's usually you get 50% up front and then you get 50% when you actually finish your, finish your album. So that's, 
75 grand gets released to us, 20% goes to the manager. Me and Harry split that. That's about, you know, whatever, 30, 30, 40 grand, you know, being generous. That 30, 40 grand is to last us until we get the next 50% of the advance, which is going to be... That's between one and two, album one and two. That's just between one and album one and two. So that was our first album. And as I told you, it took about two to three years to develop. So that's 30 grand there to last for that long. And in during this development period, we're traveling all over the world and we're paying rent in London. So you can imagine how quickly that goes away. And like, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. We got given 140 grand at that. You know, not many bands get this. But what you're actually giving away is what is, you know, it's, it's, it is so shocking to me now. These contracts, after being subjected to one of them, are just, they feel to me so archaic. Yeah. Like, I, I still don't have the rights to this music back. Like, Chasing Rubies, like I said to you, a song I wrote when I was 17, I sold yeah. that then. And, like, I won't get that back until, I think, at least 2028. So, that was, like, my first deal. Yeah. Something to note about that deal is we had clout as a band at the time and we were able to ask for a few things because we had gigged a bit and we had got our own platform and YouTube was suddenly, you know, it was suddenly mattered in the industry. Um, we were like the front runners of something. So we were able to only sign, yeah, we signed our publishing rights to Sony ATV for the UK and the rest of the world, excluding North America. So that means we were published all over the world except for the USA. And that was because we, uh, our management and our record label thought we'd have a chance in the USA. And also we had uh, interest from an independent US publisher who wants to sign us in the States and work us as songwriters in the States. And they were... How'd that go? Uh, not great, and we'll get into why. Um, and they were actually really an exciting proposition at the time, and I thought this was going to be great. And it would also, like, they were talking about giving us a hundred grand, $100,000 for our publishing. So that adds to, you know, that, that, that amount of money to that big advance. So that's now us selling our publishing for, you know potentially 250 grand for the first album which is which is a good good amount of money is it recoupable so you do you have to pay that back then based off income all of it will have to be paid back based on our songwriting income yeah before we can yeah. really earn any real income off it um so yeah so that's 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 the trap that's what you're selling away yes you're getting gifted money but like like we said last week it's not for nothing it's not for the crack like people are investing in us and, and i recognize that too like we're very lucky to get that investment in some ways but like had we have kept on to it i'd be so interested to know how much chasing rubies would have made myself and you know my brother in the last couple of years had we have you know maybe signed an admin deal where you don't get given an advance yeah. you don't get you give away 10% of your rights away for someone to literally just deal with the paperwork and the administration and you don't have big debts to pay back. And then if you don't have that, well, then you can be earning money as a songwriter by the means of which you have a team who work you. That's the thing, like even having these debts isn't a bad thing. And like sometimes it works. It doesn't always end up like, our band where we don't have a hit to pay it back like some bands do have a hit and when you have a hit you will pay back these debts and these advances but if you don't well that's when the contract gets very confusing because it says if you don't make the money back that's when the terms start getting shittier each contract is so different but I'm trying to go over what I've seen or what I know with it you know as best as possible 
I'd be fierce curious um, when you look at what a publisher should do. Um, that and, and like it's a complicated fucking thing, but like the be- the best way I could like catch it, even just in the, the research I was doing, like there's the admin, there's the creative, and then there's like the business. Like so, if like the connections that they'd have the uh, creatively with other songwriters, like who they put you in a room with. You said that at the beginning. You nailed that at the beginning. We're we using the we're we using the ADHD ramble. <laughs> No, it was brilliant. No, that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it's a gamble. Like, there's basically there's the business side. So it's just like um, when you look at um, the the income you were talking about. So like in an ideal world, it would be fifty fifty. It would be fifty to the publisher, fifty to the songwriter. That goes to a performance royalty organization. Um, so like in Ireland, it's called Imro. In um, America, it's like ASCAP, BMI. UK is uh, PRS. Yeah. You basically like every each territory collects the royalties, and this is um, one aspect of how songs are quote and they use the word exploited. And this is basically like in Ireland, a business will play will pay a, a blanket, like it's called like was a blanket license, and it's basically like they pay this fee, and depending on the size of the place and all these different factors, they now have the right to like if you're in the gym this is why you can hear the tunes on the radio or if you're in like a nightclub you know and um this goes back to performance royalties organizations and then this though i found really interesting this does this doesn't go to the publisher that fifth that 50 percent that you get that is the 50 percent that will go to you from the performance royalty organization and the publisher can't access that and that's to protect the songwriter and then everything else is <laughs> it's fair game um, I thought that was the most interesting part when I was looking at it. Was like I that that is there to like actually like, you know, keep that away from a potential publisher. But then a sync license where like, you know, music is synced with a moving image. Um, publishers could connect you with like Netflix, for example, or uh, like we talked to Greg and his. Well, there you go. Yeah, man. I'm <laughs> the, the three coffees wasn't a good idea. <laughs> so I'm like, no, you're grand, but Jesus. like it can work and like it can work really well and, yeah, and songwriters songwriters can be worked and like part of what I was I've been so frustrated by in the last couple of years is like so I signed those those two deals at the very beginning of my career and then things didn't work out and we got dropped by all the labels except one of these American deals and then when we went to work with a new team that was a 360 arrangement. And a 360 arrangement is where you sign everything, your master rights, your publishing rights, and your management all under one roof. And it's oh. not a good idea. It's not a good idea, guys. Um, you know, everyone I've spoken to about it hasn't had a good experience of these things. It's a scary term. It is. So after that, I was bought out of my publishing contract, the American one that I signed. And in that process... It was all very rushed and things were changed and suddenly I'm, I'm still in that contract but with a new team with a different understanding of the contract. Like we didn't get dropped. We didn't get to kind of start again. So I signed that when I was 18 and when I got another chance at, at, with a new team again, I basically I was kept into that contract. And the new team who are the 360 company, like, again, if you're a 360 company, you are going to be covering all angles of the music industry, live, 
gig world, you're going to be covering record label, you're going to be covering publishing and you're becoming management as well. So, you know, like we've spoken about before, you can't be great at everything, you know, and I, I do feel like, you know, as a publisher, they didn't have it as well as maybe the American company had it. Like I signed to that American company because I actually, they actually believed in me as a songwriter and they had like, which was really exciting at the time. They had like this database where you could sign, you could go onto the website and they would have a database of all the current pitches in America that are going out to ads. That's a very interesting. And like they were actually an active independent publisher and they wanted songwriters to go onto the website and you would be only the only songwriters with access to this and they would be going, oh, Coca-Cola want a commercial wow. and it's it's 30 seconds and they want the word feeling in it and they want this. And like, I got a good buzz off doing that. And if you fucking, if you get one of those, you know, like they pay, they pay good money for those type of things. So as a publisher, I was like, this is, these are really cool. And they were independent. They were getting us in, in the room with really good writers. Like I was getting loads out of these publishers as well until then the next album when I didn't necessarily work with the same caliber of publishing. You know, I wasn't getting as much out of it as I should have been doing it. Number one, I should have been getting more money because we've heard from fucking Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen how much this shit is worth, do you know? And then number two, like, I would have loved to have been worked as a songwriter to pay back the money because if I had been put, like Greg said, if I'd have been put in the room with that person, this person, this person, well, you know, that could be an income I get from a piece of work I did last. Like, that's the beauty of songwriting. I could write yeah. with you. And then next week, the song's huge. We've done the work last week. It also confused me, man. Like, when you talked about this, this, like, my initial, like, <laughs> confusion was, like, why weren't you actually, like, like, I felt like the, when it, when you look at what a publisher should do, I didn't feel like that was done um, in your last um, situation. And it's, like, frustrating when, you released a whole album, like your second album, gorgeous songs. And then you look at like a Damien Rice back in the day, for example, and or you look at Greg where like the songs are placed. Like there was no reason like songs you had couldn't have been pitched for projects if the groundwork was done. There's like a creative plug or whatever it was that was just like in that in that machine. It was just the motivation. Um, well, like sinks can change careers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we know from from Greg, you know, uh, but not only that, but like what I was always frustrated by is like I, I was telling you last week about being in a writing session and writing a song that you think is great, but you don't believe in. And that's totally normal. And that's a, that's OK to happen because you're putting a pressure on yourself to come up with some creative, you know. Have you had that? I have. And like what's really annoying is and I don't like saying I've released stuff that I didn't want to release because I know like some fans feel quite weird about that because they'll have connections with the song or whatever and I won't tell you what song it is uh, you know unless you want to know (laughs) but I won't but my point was like I love like we've written that song I recognise it's a good song I feel good about it we've written a good song like I don't feel like it's something I want to put out because it it's it's it doesn't resonate with me first first of all I and mean, that's what my gut is saying I don't like ignoring my gut and then it gets sent to the label or management and suddenly it's like that's and it's not always as dramatic as a samba hit or whatever sometimes it's just it's just not you and it's not authentic and and then you're made to put it out so in those positions I would have been saying 
please, 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 publisher, give it to One Direction. Give it to fucking someone who's going to fucking make me some fucking beans because Hudson Taylor put this out. No one's going to believe it because I don't believe it. Do you know? Yeah. And I don't believe it. When I, I know what song it is, but like when you look at it, it's like, it's not you. Like in comparison to like an old soul or like something that like would have come from you. I know. So that's where things can start to go wrong. And the reason I had to do that is because of the money that was spent. Did you get paid again? You got the initial 100 grand, let's say, when it was bought again. Um, did... So with this deal, this deal is what was really bad with this deal is if you don't make the money back, I don't recoup, which is what I've been telling you has been the fucking every, nothing we've done is recouped. This is the problem with this one contract. If you don't recoup, you won't receive the next advance or you will, but it'll be deducted by the amount of the album you didn't write. And that's the other fucking stickler. This is, um, so there's, yeah, the one thing was like, your advances will be recouped. It's all so boring. Oh God, somebody it's spare not me. It's boring, honestly. It, I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the Irish version of the mask. What the fuck? <laughs> Somebody, spare uh, But so, oh yeah, we just. We got to bring it back to like the, um, the sense of like, like it's that complicated. Like it took, we'd have zooms when we started this process, and it took me ages. Like I, Jesus, like it was actually like doing a freaking thesis or something, trying to get my head around like how nuanced your situation was. But I want to throw you now. This was so like your pub that publishing deal would have been back in two thousand and like originally two thousand and. 13? Yeah, 12? about that. 2013, I think. I, I I had the date there, but I lost it. In the 2020s? Yeah. Uh, I'm noticing people signing publishing deals, but not record deals. So signing like... Yeah. So like, there's a very... It's never, be, it's never been easier to record, release, um, and own your shit, basically, independently. It is like at your hands, and then... Um, if you look at like every musician who's doing it at a certain level, like it's a business, like it's an LLC, like it, like they pay taxes, hopefully, but like, you know, <laughs> like they have, a, they have a business and a framework for the business. At some point, then they need a bit of cash or they need to like, you know, put some life into it. I'm noticing like, there's a certain point where like, whether it's someone on TikTok who gets a certain amount of buzz or whatever, they either sign a management deal that kind of acts like a record thing but they're not giving up the masters and the publishing for that so whatever benefit the managers um getting them the management company they're actually making you know a bit of cash because they actually like are getting their um you know they own their masters and they own their publishing and then on a kind of another version of that would be that like people who sign um a publishing deal and they're like, you see it on social media, like they celebrate it. Like, but these are people who like might have a hit on social media, uh, and then the song, you know, gets the streams, and then suddenly they sign this deal and they're in these rooms where they can actually follow that up. It's like it, it's a smart move, but it's been very interesting and it's been informing what I would potentially consider. And it's ever evolving because 
like as you said like having skin in the game changes your opinion and yeah i feel like it's changing every day well there's firstly two things there there's one is the just the myth and the perception and the glory of signing something it doesn't matter yeah. who the fuck it is if you have a picture of signing me signing the back of a mcdonald's cup you know, and I'm telling people it's a record deal. People will be happy for me. This is the thing about it. Yeah. So that's one thing. So, you know, people will promote their deals as, as a good thing. I did it for ages. I'm, I'm just, I just showed you a picture of me celebrating my publishing deal, you know. Um, so that's number one. Number two is like, yeah, they're not all bad. There can be really good publishers. And like, I'd say, you know, based on what I know, which isn't very much, but is still maybe more than a lot of people, um, it would be, you know, the admin deals seem pretty fair. Short-term admin deals give away, you know, 10 to 15% of your stuff to, for someone to deal with that sort of stuff. Ideally, they'll be working you as a songwriter as well. And when you do send them songs, they will give you a comment and they will say, this could go there. That's just class, like. Uh, exactly. Like, that, uh, that sounds so appealing. Like, I mean, but that's just like, what are you fucking doing working in music publishing if you're not going to do that? Do you know? So, like... You must be wondering that for a while, so... You, you know, it's just like that's that's what i mean it's like ideally you want a good team people added somewhere that understand you on good terms like if it's good terms and short term and you've had a good contract well then you fucking sign another one it's like you don't have to pin people into these lifelong things because it's like yes they can be great when they work but when they don't work you can literally own someone's thoughts and like literally anything i didn't know if this podcast belonged to my publisher or not do you know what i mean it's like it's so scary what you're getting into when you're selling your intellectual property and like it's scary shit. there's so many ways this can manifest and now with technology and all the rest of it it's like it's just completely mind-boggling i could sell you the moon like i'm sorry like if i pitch people are they're good salespeople. you know what i mean yeah like it's like I feel like, and there are good publishers, there are good labels, there are good, like, managers. Like, I don't believe it. I, we don't, I know you don't either believe it's all shite, but there are also ones. But back to your point on the publishing deal. Like, if I'm a young band now and I sign a publishing deal, like, I know of one that is quite close to home. We know, but we both know this artist. They signed one for 10 grand um, in a similar situation to me and absolutely delighted with that 10 grand and who wouldn't be and that's 10 grand and you're getting offered a 10 grand publishing deal and you think this is with the the big shot you know music mogul this is going to be brilliant and you know that's when you break it down that's nothing for what he's actually given away do you know no, and like it's not at all yeah it's it's, it's not it depends also what's what's your relationship with the music like is it something you want to put all your time to or your life into or is it something that you're like this is like like that person it could literally be a side hustle while he works in something else and are mm -hmm. they worker <laughs> whoever they might be working something else exactly um, and like not 10 grand could be you know a year's rent you know what i mean yeah so this has been a thing for for ages and like we were talking about some huge artists last week and I found a story this week and I've actually heard the story I saw it before on on YouTube and I thought this was absolute bollocks because it can't be true and then I've checked it out this week and it's actually a couple of sources and it is true and I found this one um article that's uh written quite well on a, on a called American Songwriter it's a blog and it's the story behind Michael Jackson buying the Beatles catalog and angering his friend Paul McCartney 
So the story has been part of popular music circles for decades. Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, two of the biggest names in music history, were on a music video shoot. And Paul McCartney told Michael Jackson about the idea to buy up song catalogues. It then goes on to say they collaborated on a song in 1983 called Say 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 and it featured on McCartney's album. Uh, the two had earlier collaborated on the song The Girl Is Mine so they'd worked together in the past on Thriller and that's when McCartney talked to Michael Jackson about investing in music publishing and Jackson allegedly jokingly replied one day I'll own your songs. Then just two years later, on August the 14th in 1985, the same year as that book we've been reading was published, Jackson purchased the publishing rights to the majority of the Beatles catalogue. So he bought 251 songs for 47 million US dollars outbidding McCartney. So what was 47 million US dollars in 1985, I wonder? Don't wait to do Google. I just thought you had that sort of shit in your brain, if you know what I'm not joking. That, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. not a savant. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an excellent driver. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, so while you're finding out that there, the... Um, Brain computing. <laughs> This blog then gives a really good little background on publishing here. It says, understanding the business, which we've been trying to fucking do for the last hour. It says, for those who don't know, music publishing can be a lucrative business. Every time a song is used in a television show, a movie or some other arena, the user has to pay a licensing fee. Some of that goes to the record label and some of that goes to the performer and songwriter. So in the end, whoever owns the song gets paid. With the Beatles, the publishing had originally gone to Paul McCartney and John Lennon, who wrote the majority of the tracks. The two had formed their own publishing company called Northern Songs in 1964 to generate money from their growing catalogue. So for every time their song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, was used in a movie, the Beatles company got paid. In 1969... The British outfit Associated Television was involved in a messy takeover of Northern Songs, which led to Paul McCartney and John Lennon to sell off their shares of the company that they had started. Very early on, this is Paul McCartney saying this, very early on we got managed into a little situation, McCartney said in an interview in 1989. It meant that whatever the lion's share of the songs we did were taken by someone else. In 1985, however, those songs went back up for sale and McCartney was set to purchase them. Lennon had died in 1980, but Jackson snuck in and wielded his financial power and got the lot. McCartney, who was also bidding on the music, felt betrayed and angered. He no longer owned his songs and had previously started buying other music, like tracks written by Buddy Holly. The two had forged a friendship in the 1970s, but that stopped after Jackson bought the songs. He won't answer my letters, so we haven't talked and we don't have a great relationship, McCartney explained in 2001. The trouble is, I wrote those songs for nothing and buying them back at these phenomenal sums, I just can't do it. Jackson's response to McCartney's request was, oh Paul, that's just business. Then in 1984, Michael Jackson's lawyer told him ATV was up for sale and the company owned 4,000 songs, including those 251 songs by the Beatles. At the time, McCartney said it was out of his price range and Yoko Ono, who was John Lennon's surviving wife, said she was fine with Jackson owning them rather than a huge corporation. So Jackson's lawyer bid 30 million, but other bids brought it up to 47.5 million US dollars. And... 
Michael Jackson said, you can't put a price on Picasso. You can't put a price on these songs. There's no value on them. Jackson allegedly said they're the best songs that have ever been written. I think it's dodgy to do something like that, McCartney once said of Jackson's purchase, to be someone's friend and then buy the rug that they're standing on. I mean, this is pure beef from 1985 with Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney on publishing rights. Like, I wish I'd have read this and the, and the importance of this before I signed my deals because this is big, big news, like... Do you know, I what, don't what, think there's what, been an episode where you haven't referenced 1985. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the heyday, man. Look at this. Yeah. Like, look at yeah. this. No, you it's know, mad. Very interesting read. And like, yeah, it just goes to show you there's been disputes over this stuff. I don't know. You just see, you, we, were ta- we were talking about the numbers like last week, like what, like Bruce Springsteen sold his catalog for 500 million. Bob, was it possible? No, Bob Dylan sold for 300 million or something like that. Um, it's it's just they're absurd numbers, and then you look at the so okay so let's put it this way like this what a song, this songs, <laughs> um a song's value in theory should go up if um either a publisher or whoever owns the publishing, um it's called exploiting so exploits the song to the the best way it can be that will literally drive up the value of the song even if it's old. So Alfie, just to throw that back to you there like. Um, you have a catalogue of very strong work. Do you feel like the value of your songs um, in theory could have gone up if exploited properly, but secondly, could have paid back fucking <laughs> the, the amount that was recoupable if it was managed properly? This is the ironic thing, man. It's all They're all still there and they're still, still owned by this company. But like, one could kick off. But I won't make money from it because... It's there's so much debt there. So like Chase and Rubies could still have a big moment. How much do you think? That's a good one. I would sign my publishing for it. Let's just say for one album. I'd never sign anything over two albums ever again. So uh, let's just say it's for one album plus the option of the other and the publisher gets the option of another one. And like I don't expect many publishers to be knocking my door down for this. But yeah, for, for, for my next album, let's say I'm in, I'm just starting writing it now and I want to release an album. How much do you think I would 250 want? 250 grand. Look, it's going to take me a year to make. I've been fucking through it. I'm a bitter asshole and I want some fucking, I want to be paid. And let's say this album takes me at least a year to make. I would say I would take probably 500 grand for an album. You know, um, that seems quite excessive and I'd have to pay it back. But it depends. I would take that if the terms were shit and I was not worked as a songwriter. That's what I know for the last. You know what I mean? Yeah. I take such a smaller amount. I'm not expecting any publisher to to give me that sort of money. But Mm. what I need to, why I say that number is to value it at something that's way, like, I thought 150 was loads. And I thought I was, you know, lucky for asking for that. Also, I've been through, like, it's these things have really affected me. And yeah. 500 grand is 500 grand. Like, Bob, what's stopping Bob asking for 500 million or 200 million? You know, it's like, th- this is so valuable. That's why, yes, it's a lot of money. But then I also realized that publishing does not make the same amount of money as it used to. Therefore, this 500 grand will never get paid back and it's probably going to be the only fucking 500 grand I get. Yeah, I, I don't think I would do it, to be honest. It goes back to your points. There's three deals you can do. There's the big money deals where you ask for money and you, you don't expect anything in return. That's what I did the first time. And then there is the 
small advance, short term, with a great team. Yeah. Which is maybe a little bit more than an admin deal, 50-50. It's for short term. It might be to fund one project or two projects. That might be the sort of things you're seeing some artists have success with at the moment. It's like shorter term publishing deals. And then there's the the third deal, which is the admin deal, which is probably you're not going to get any money from it, but you, you've got it hopefully in a company with people who care about your music. And, you know, if you're on a roster and you're not getting worked, like it's just shit. And then you feel like you're doing all the work. And that's that's where I had a lot of issues because I was a published writer and I was under these terms, but like I wasn't being worked enough as a songwriter to pay myself out of it. So the only way out of it was to give an album that's what I mean. Like that's a big task as well. It's a big task, and and also, you can't just make an album. It has to meet their requirements. Some of those requirements are: it has to be written in an art contract. Eighty-five percent of the album had to be written by me and Harry. How is that possible if we're doing co-writing sessions? And you're in like a three sixty deal, so it's at the discretion of those people if the album happens. So you're exactly. just caught by the fucking balls, like exactly. And this is the 85% of the album that we have to write. If we don't meet that, so let's say me and Harry only end up writing 50% of our album because we have loads of co-writers in the process. The 35% left over gets deducted against our advance. So, you know, it's if you're unrecouped. So that's what I mean. Like this, each contract is so different and it's all a big minefield. So stick with short term, stick with low percentages if you're going to do anything like this. But I'd really say, you know, most importantly, if you're a young artist or um, register your music to, a, you know, g- get yourself up and running as a, as a songwriter on one of these royalty collection societies. But that's the thing as well. I actually, I noticed that from listening to last week's episode. Um, I want to throw it to you. What do you think is the requirement to register for a royalty collection society? Uh, as far as I know, it's pretty, anyone can do it. You, there are requirements. So like your work has to have like played publicly essentially. So because um, I listened to it last week and it was like advice given but I wanted to make sure to say like how I did it I played on college radio so like I played a song of mine on like um, a college radio and then I had a letter from that station and I had proof of the recording and then I was able to send up to Imro. Um but like you might look at the um, the criteria and be like you're like how the hell am I going to do that it's like they're, so there are I see again yeah I w- that wouldn't have been on my radar like uh, I'd registered a song in a very you know different way before or I'd have like I, literally management would have been registered like on me onto these that. websites like managers were registering the songs at the end of the day you know it wasn't me it, doing doing that work and I went and registered my songs I realized I hadn't I, I like I was like as soon as you said it I was like oh Jesus yeah well that's what, I'll have to do that now if I write a song and when I do I will be registering it and I will own it like that's that's the beauty of it and so so once you've done that as an artist that's what I'd say yeah, get a few songs out get them played in a public place obviously meet the requirements like Fiona is saying figure out how you can meet those requirements sign up to these things get your songs out get them exploited and you will receive a few pennies you know fr- from that and if your song does even better and gets on playlists and gets played a lot in public spaces you will re- receive more than a few pennies and the larger portion of those royalties you have the better basically that's what this whole fucking songwriting thing is you know that's 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 the whole point of what we've been saying basically before we had 
I'd love to ask, what's your, what would it be your advice for me now? Like you have all this perspective of like publishing deals and all these things. And you also know my like context. What would, would you say I fucking sign up for this amount of money, go for an admin? I'd say don't, don't, don't bother. Don't yeah. bother. It's, it's keep, keep doing, you're doing the admin at the moment. Like you said, you signed up to this thing. You know people, maybe through this podcast, you'll get to know people through your college. You'll get to know people. Uh, you have a list of writers you want to work with. You've done all the A and R's work. That's what any. That's what a publisher would do. Develop yourself as a writer. At one stage, bring in co-writers to your project if you need it. I don't think you do because you can write songs. Some people can't write songs as well, and they need co-writers, right? So Shucks. that's fine. Bring them in. That's totally grand. My best advice is to bring in mates, people you get along with and you trust, yeah. because and the people you like the music of, because. I think there's there's nothing stopping you from being your own publisher, picking the writers you want to work with. And also, if you see something, and I know you're working so much on your own project at the moment, but if you see other singers, writers, other talent that you feel like you could go, I could do that, just ask. Can I work with you? Can I write with you? I think it'd be really cool. Do you know? Yeah, and yeah. honestly, after one day, you'll create a piece of fucking music that has never didn't exist before, and now it exists. And yeah, the first one might be shit, but you have to keep going at it, especially with collaborations as well. They, they'll get better and better and better. So my advice would be, yeah, be your own publisher at the moment. You have a list of songwriters you want to work with. You have your own music that you want to release in the next year. So you could put that out, release it, register it, see how much money it actually makes when it's all 100% you. And then there's nothing stopping you from you know, selling your publishing in the future think about i'm road chasing when i was 17 i sold it when i was 18 do you know you can go back and backdate and sell your previous songs very interesting with um you know artists i know at the moment their catalogs are coming up so they're starting to to get back their first albums and selling them on to new publishers to do different deals with so like you can go back in the past and sell old songs and you know you can always have them there but it's much better that you have them in your control so you can control when you sell them like you know sorry to cut into your tangent I have to say like I know it's my fucking friend but like in this context I'm just gonna say like you saved me from making so many mistakes in this industry and made me feel like able for this career and I just want to give your fucking flowers i guess in this subject matter i love songwriting and i adore it like i do it all the time now and i know like how i could save that love and still have a career and i wouldn't have had that without you ah oh, dude i love to hear it no i love to hear it but like yeah artists should be more in control of how they operate it and how they do it we don't need middle people to put us in touch with each other just slide into the dms <laughs> Sli you just Honestly. that's it slide into the dm said you want to write a tune if they don't reply they yeah. don't reply we've learned like if you have a hit you'd rather you own the fucking thing because it's gonna do you for life it's either slide into the dms or <laughs> i'm just gonna call out song artists here like i'm in the wwe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> paul mccartney <laughs> you're listening to this yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think yeah that that that'd be my advice man uh just yeah just like keep on kind of doing what you're doing and yeah each song like write as many songs as possible it sounds so obvious but like each song you write and register is another potential little thing that can well number one earn you money but also connect with someone emotionally i just enjoy collaboration 
I just like it's like obviously like on sets and stuff. It's where people do things that I can't do on set, and we all come together and make it for them. But like, wait until you're doing sessions as a songwriter, and like you literally dude, finish a day, <laughs> and this whole production of a song exists yeah. that never existed I, before you walked in the room. You know, and and you could potentially get paid for it, and everyone could be happy. Like it's it see, does exist, like that, and it's that's success yeah. for me that like if i could if i yeah. could write song, not like not even like giving away my songs if i could just write songs with people and like have that be the graft i do jesus christ that would, that'd be a happy life however it's it it's a competitive world and like oh, man i'll just be writing his obviously and i <laughs> that's what everybody thinks you know and the hit yeah. chasers we spoke about it with nick we spoke about I, it with greg I great you ideas know. man someone yeah. you liked um, <laughs> chasing diamonds. Uh, <laughs> Let him go. Yeah, man. I'm just like <laughs> bangers. Bang yeah, them. bangers, bangers only. Bangers exactly. And <laughs> bangers and cash. So I'm gonna stop. You're Three grand. coffees. Never again. <laughs> so I'm really hyper. I, I don't. I, Dude, I'm gonna, it's like, been so, great. Yeah. I like. I like a hype. I like a hyperfinon. Honestly. <laughs> made me laugh like at the start where I'm just like Bleh. and you're like anyway uh, <laughs> like just thank you for listening to this independent podcast